Now, we come to the impact segment of the teaching tonight, for you O'Reilly fans. (laughs) Chapter 4, continuing on, watch this. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed. I think that's a good description of the Jewish leaders at this time, they were disturbed. Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Well, the Sadducees hated that. They were completely opposed. They did not accept or believe in resurrection, nor did they believe in Jesus. So it's a double whammy for them. And they laid hands on them, which was not a prayer moment. Okay. They laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening, verse 4. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Wow! How did so many get saved? They heard the word. Note that. They heard the word, the Logos. Many of those who had heard the message, that word message there is Logos. They heard the word. The Logos. It's more than the written word. It's more than the spoken word. I've gone over this with you before. The written word is the grapho. Anytime you see the word scriptures in the scriptures, it's the Greek word grapho. Anytime you see the spoken word, it's rima. The Logos is greater than both because the Logos is the incarnation of Jesus Himself. Therefore, when Luke writes that many of those who had heard the Logos believed what he's saying is they heard Jesus. How is that possible? The Holy Spirit filled Peter to preach this message. Think about the message. It is packed with sound biblical Hebrew theology. He is drawing right and left out of the Hebrew Scriptures. He's a Galilean fisherman. He didn't go to Bible college. He spent three years with Jesus, which is far better. But he's drawing off of all this stuff. He is speaking the Logos. He is speaking by the Spirit of Christ, the words of Christ, and people get saved. Note this, the miracle of this man's healing called them to attention. But the Word called them to salvation. Miracles are wonderful. But honestly, at best, miracles are attention getters. It is the Word that saves. The Word of Christ. Spoken to us, given to us by His Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the Word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the Word from men, But for what it really is, the Word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. I was having a conversation earlier today about our fellowship. And the conversation went something like this. Rick, how do you feel about people in our fellowship who aren't doing anything? Now, of course, this is none of you. How do you feel about people in our fellowship who aren't doing anything? You know what I said? I'm going to kick them out, man. There's got to be some other pew they can warm somewhere. No. What I said was, I am so glad they're here. To the most active, involved, most mature believer who is serving in ministry and loving the Lord and leaping and praising God everywhere they go, to the person who's just barely here. 
I'm so glad they're here. Why? Because they're hearing the Word. And because the Word also performs its work in you. And you can be sitting there for years doing nothing but hearing the Word. Week in, week out, week in, week out. Rick's telling another stupid pun. But oh, here's some Bible. Okay, I can get that. And you hear, and the Word is at work. And you can't help it. And you can't stop it. And I get so excited just knowing people are hearing. Because there's something powerful. God said in Isaiah 55, 8-11, through 11, My Word, which proceeds forth from my mouth, does not come back to me empty. I send it out and it performs exactly what I want it to perform. And so Peter, this whole thing's a setup, gang. Yes, the guy's healed. Bully for him. But it's so much bigger than that. The miracle brought about the attention so that Peter could preach to bring about salvation. And that's awesome. And that's how it works. Signs, wonders, miracles. Man, they're great attention getters, but they don't get in and change lives. The Word does that. The Word germinates. The Word spawns faith. Think about it this way. We were talking this morning. Um, I was talking with Eileen and Gary and, and Les. We had, a, we had a great time. That was so fun. Just sitting there and talking. But we were talking about the fact that the book of Acts covers roughly 32 years. About 32 years, the very beginning of the church. And if you count every miracle spoken of in the book of Acts, and there are some that aren't mentioned, and there, there are times where it says that many miracles were done, so I'll grant you that. But if you just count the miracles that are listed, there's about 30. How does that break down? One a year. Just one a year. Now we read Acts, and we go, Man, it's a miracle a minute! There's just miracles happening all over the the place. Man, I wish I could live then at that time and see all the things that they did and experience all the things going on. Why can't it be that way with us? Listen, in the nearly 12 years that the Bridge Fellowship has been here, I can count at least 12 miracles. Seriously. Supernatural occurrences where God touched a life, healed a life, changed a life, did something supernatural. I can count about 12, 13, 14. What's that? One a year? Just wait till we've been here 32 years. We will have just been like the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What are you saying, Rick? I'm saying, listen, expect... The supernatural work of God, but emphasize the saving word. Expect the supernatural. It's going to happen. God does that. But emphasize the saving word. The emphasis is never on the miracles. It's always on the word of Christ. And Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.13, Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me. In the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. What's that treasure? The power to heal? No. It's the Word of God. Guard it. Teach it. Share it. Retain it. Speak it out. By the way, note this. The number of the saved here, the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So you can triple or quadruple or quintuple that or any other ooples and upples. You can, you can just take it up because we're talking 5,000 men. So Luke isn't even counting women and children. 
He's just saying the men. Let's just give you a quick number because I know there are about 5,000 men there. What happens when the men stand up and believe? Entire families get saved. Guys, listen to me on this. When the men stand in their faith, young men, middle-aged men, old men, when the men stand up, households get saved. Now, ladies, bear with me. I'm no sexist. I'm really not. Cheryl would beat me up if I was. Galatians 3.28 Galatians 3, very clearly tells us there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. We're all one. There's no better. There's no hierarchy. There are roles. There are godly roles that He's called us to. But when men stand up for Jesus... Entire households get saved. And so I believe the number here is probably more accurately somewhere between fifteen and 20,000 people that got saved because the attention was garnered from the, the healing of the man. And Peter preaches the word. fifteen to 20,000 people. And they're in the court of women. So you know women were getting saved. It's a huge number. When men stand up and are counted as men of faith, entire households get saved. When the women stand up, too often, the men just stay home and watch football. And yes, it bugs me to no end that the Seahawks opening game is Sunday, the 13th of September at 10 a.m. And I will DVR, and if any of you tell me how that game comes out, you're toast. In fact, you will be kicked out of the church. All right, so... No, but I'm serious about this. Men, men, take your rightful place as a man of God and watch how He works in your family. Watch how many of your wives are thrilled to no end that you're standing up as a man of faith instead of a man of football. I love football. It's not going to get you into heaven. There's no pass long enough. There's no yardage good enough. You will not run your way into the... You're not going to pull an end run on the Lord. Stand up, guys. Stand in our faith and watch our families joyfully stand with us. So here at the beautiful gate... The beautiful gift was given, resulting in the sharing of the beautiful gospel. But now, Peter and John end up dragged before, number four, a bunch of goons. I want you to write that down in your notes. A bunch of goons. Watch this, verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. Bunch of goons. Sorry. And Annas, the high priest, was there. Hmm. Remember him? And Caiaphas. Remember him too? And John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly descent. And when they had placed them, that is Peter and John, in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? It's a trick question. You see what's going on here? These are the same guys about two months prior who questioned Jesus and saw to His execution. Same guys. And now, they're calling down Peter and John. And by the way, they already know what name they had done this miracle in. They've already got the word. Remember, they were t- 
tossed into prison overnight. Now they're brought before the Sanhedrin, before the, the ruling class here, before the, the priestly family. By what power, what name have you done this? They are just hoping that Peter will say, in Jesus' name. Because if he does, they will call out Deuteronomy 13. What's that? Any prophet or dreamer that came along and performed a miracle in any name other than that of the Lord was to be stoned to death. It was God's standard. A prophet comes among you. Some dreamer comes, some sage shows up and actually performs a miracle, but that miracle, that supernatural sign is not in the name of the Lord. Kill him. Cut him off. And so, no doubt, this is in the back of their minds. By what name did you do this miracle? We dare you. Say the name. Oh, Peter, I love Peter. By the way, we joked a lot about Peter through the Gospels. There was good reason to. But now, Peter is a man standing up. He'll make a few slip-ups. But man, he is a man who is standing on faith, who is standing for the Lord. He is a guy that we can look at and go, I I wouldn't mind being a little more like Peter. Peter in verse 8, filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, there it is. Filled with the Holy Spirit. He had already been filled with the Holy Spirit. What's going on here? For crying out loud, how much Holy Spirit can you get? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, (laughs) as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. Go, Peter. Go, man. And then Peter starts quoting more scripture. He's the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, which became the chief cornerstone. That's Psalm 118.22. And there's salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must be saved. Go, Peter. Preach it, man. He is spouting the word right and left. I mean, couple what he just said here with the sermon of the previous day. He he quoted Deuteronomy 18 and Genesis 22. He cites the prophet Samuel. He quotes from Psalm 118, verse 2. He is just pulling off of all of these verses. And here, in verse 11, he quotes Psalm 118. And it's one of Peter's favorite verses. How do you know? I'll just read it to you. In 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 6. Peter writes, For this is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, quote, the stone which the builders rejected. This became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this they were also Appointed. Psalm 118. Peter knows his Bible. He knows his Bible. And I have absolutely no doubt that between the ascension of Christ and the day of Pentecost, which was just ten days, Peter was cramming. 
And I have no doubt that Peter spent massive amounts of time in the Word of God. How do you know? Because he's always quoting. It's remarkable how much he's calling up just by memory the Hebrew Scriptures. He's in the Word. He recognizes he's got to be in the Word. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is speaking through him, but the Spirit calls up what Peter's already got in terms of verses he remembers. I don't believe the Holy Spirit's going to supernaturally give you a verse you've never heard before. Now, He could. Let let, let me back off. He could. I don't want to box the Holy Spirit up. But 99.99999% of the time, He's not going to give you a scripture you haven't already memorized. He's not going to bring up a verse that you've never read or studied or thought about. He's going to use the tools in your box. And so he's using the tools as he's speaking here through Peter. But did you notice what Luke wrote in verse 8? Look at verse 8 again. Go back. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. So here we go. Theology busting time. Because this completely alters what so many have been taught and think about the Holy Spirit. After the healing of the lame man, after the preaching that Peter did to the people, now Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. What's going on? Well, apparently the baptism of the Holy Spirit was he was still full power, but maybe he was getting a little weak. <laughs> He's running down a little bit, so the Spirit said, More, fill him up. The point is this. If you wonder when is enough enough, how many times should a person seek to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? I would say as many as you want. I've had people ask me, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit a one-time event? You know, it kind of happens, kind of you get water baptized and then hopefully around there, baptized in the Holy Spirit, or maybe you were before, maybe you were after, both happen in the book of Acts. Is it a one-time event where from that point on you can say, I am among the baptized with the Holy Spirit? Or is it a process that is ongoing and the Spirit fills you, the Spirit comes upon you in power again and again and again and again as necessary for the ministry and for the preaching of the Gospel? See, that's what I think. And I've got good evidence right here. Receive the Holy Spirit, John 20. Baptized in the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2. We know that Peter is moving in the Spirit and suddenly here again, he is filled with the Holy Spirit again. Well, Rick, can you give me more biblical evidence that this idea of the baptism of the Spirit is a multiple thing? Yes, I can. Acts 13.52 says the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And that word continually is this ongoing filling. It was a constant. Why was there a miracle a year for the first 30 years? Why were there the miracles that we see? Why was there the preaching that was so profound and the growth of the church so stunning? Because they couldn't get enough. Because they never stopped asking. Again and again, Lord, Lord, pour out Your Spirit among us. Lord, pour out Your Spirit on me. And I was telling Gary and Eileen this morning, that's why I pray. Every time I teach, I ask the Spirit to be our teacher. Because frankly, I'm not up to it. You have no idea how many Wednesday nights, and tonight is one of them, that I walk in here exhausted. I was so tired. Listen, 
The disciples, Acts 13.52, mark that, note it, the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is a constant, it's an ongoing, and I believe you can add that to the list of continual devotion to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers, and they were continually filled with the Holy Spirit. There's your winning combination for the format of the church just being the church. Verse 13 Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. That is one of my favorite verses in all Scripture. Just the last line, as having been with Jesus. You cannot be with Jesus and not be different. You can't be with Jesus and not be radically changed. But what's funny to me is how they observe Peter and John. Luke gives us some insight by the Spirit into what these guys are thinking. They're looking at Peter and John. They're listening to Peter and John. And Luke says they saw them as uneducated and untrained. You know what the words are in the Greek? Uneducated is a grammatos. No grammar. No grammar. These guys are like Joe Phillips. See, I told you I was tired. There's no filter when I'm tired. I, I only joke because I love Joe Phillips. As a matter of fact, i got to tell you, there are a few saints that I love more than that guy. And I'm just trying to cover my back now. But <laughs> Joe is a precious saint. But you know, Joe can really give a rip about right grammar. <laughs> And he's from Kentucky. That's right. You know what? Education has nothing to do with why Joe is such a phenomenal saint in this fellowship. He loves Jesus and he loves people. And that, that sends him way above the highest PhD in the land, as, as far as I'm concerned. But a grammatos means that they didn't have grammar. In other words, they're illiterate. These guys are illiterate. But listen to them quote scripture here. And the other word, and this is my favorite one, is they're untrained. You know what that is in the Greek? Idiotus. <laughs> it is. I'm not making this stuff up. These guys are illiterate idiots. <laughs> they have no skill. And the rulers, the lawyers, the elders, they knew that Peter and John were a couple of Galilean fishmongers. That's what these guys were. They were not trained, they didn't know language, they were basically, by comparison to the, the upper echelon in Jerusalem, these guys were the idiotists of the land. They were just the town idiots. But listen to them. They're, they're quoting and making commentary on Scripture. They're bold, they're confident. As a matter of fact, they look a lot like that Jesus. They recognize them as having been with Jesus. How is that possible in such a short amount of time that Peter could go from denying fishermen to this gospel-spouting shepherd? How could that happen so quickly? Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a spirit at work. This is not a human thing. He probably wasn't cramming. He probably was, you know, praying a lot. And ultimately, as we'll see in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, it's Peter who says, we will be about prayer and the ministry of the Word. Peter's two highest principles, prayer and the Word of God. 
But in this place, this guy who should be an illiterate idiot is filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 14. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. Peter says what he says, and they're like... Just like with Jesus, by the way. Remember how Jesus just shut him up? I'll tell you what, I'll answer your question, but first let me ask you a question. Uh, the Son of Man, whose Lord is He? You know, if David says to him, my Lord says to, the, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Well, so, how can David say that? And they just went, wow, look at the time. Uh, we, I got that lunch with uh, Pontius Pilate I got to make, so... Amazing. They had nothing to say in reply, verse 15, but when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, because that's what councils do, they confer. Saying, what shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. They don't deny the miracle. They can't. They've seen the the lame guy for 40 years too. And they see him standing there with Peter. It's like, hey, uh, this guy's walking because... Well, yeah, he is walking. (laughs) So, how do we deny that? He says it's apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But, so that it will not spread any further among the people. See how, how blind they are? Let us warn them to no longer, to speak no longer to any man in this Name, Verse 18. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. What would you do? Look, you can keep your job, but I don't want you hear, I don't want to hear you saying Jesus' name anymore. You can be a chaplain in the armed services, but no more Jesus. You can stay at work here you can be in this school you can be in this social situation but stop talking about Jesus I don't want to hear that name what do you do? Peter and John answered and said to them whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God you be the judge for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard They are no longer under the authority of the priests. They are no longer under the authority of the old law or the old ways. Peter and John answer to one and one alone, and that is Jesus Christ. He is their authority. If you are a follower of Jesus in these last days, He is your highest authority. You answer to Him. And if He tells you to speak the name, brothers and sisters, speak the name. But, like Peter and John, know this, you can't help speaking about what you have seen and what you have heard, because the more you see of Jesus and the more you hear about Jesus, the more you can't help but talk about Him. The converse is true as well. Don't hear about Jesus. Don't be in the Word. Don't see what He's doing, what He's done. And you'll find that you just don't talk much about Him. Want to fill your life with evangelism? Be in the Word. See Jesus. Hear Jesus. Pray. Listen to His voice. And you won't be able to help it. You're just going to be talking about Him all the time. Verse 21, and we're going to finish here. When they had threatened them further... oh, (laughs) See, that's the other thing. When Jesus is the highest authority, what can you threaten me with? I'll kill you, man! Okay, you'll send me home to be with Jesus. That's great. 
Well, what can you do to me? Yeah, well, I got to take you out. Your church will fail. No, someone else will slide right in and keep preaching the word. Right? Make sure that happens. Just in case, I'm just saying. When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on account of the people because, watch this, they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was no more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. We began at the beautiful gate. We end here with a beautiful glory. A beautiful glory. I love that God has great uses for lame people. He has great uses for crippled people. Great uses for people who are idiots. Great uses for the illiterate. How can you argue against a lame man walking? How can you argue against a fisherman who is espousing scriptural truth? God uses, well, the base things of the world. He uses the foolish things of the world. He uses those that are not wise and those that are not necessarily trained and those who are not degreed. And He uses those who are, by the way. But He has great uses for lame people. How do you deny a life that's been transformed? Walking and leaping and praising God. Who gets the glory for that? Now what's interesting is the beautiful gate. Um, If you read back on the history of the beautiful gate, the Nicanor gate or the Nicanor gate, there were Jews, and the Mishnah talks about this, that believed that it had healing power. The gate itself has healing power. This is from the Mishnah, Yoma 3.10, if you want to look it up. Miracles were performed in connection with the gate of Nicanor and his memory was praised. Translation. A miracle was performed at the beautiful gate and God was praised. That's what really happened. But there was a thought that, well, maybe there's something to the gate. So that's why miracles or this miracle happened there. Others would point to the burgeoning new healing ministry of Peter and John. Got to get those guys on TV next. Because look at what they do. Look at the power that they wield. And yet we know that the final result of the healing and the preaching and the salvation, even the salvation of all those who believe that day, the final result was, again, verse 21, They were all glorifying God. That's when you know the Spirit's there. Because all the glory goes to Him. And Father, we glorify You tonight. For Your power, for Your majesty, for Your might, we glorify You. For Your patience and Your steadfastness, we glorify You. Lord, You are beautiful. You are timely in all of Your moves, in all of Your decisions. You are absolutely righteous. You are true. And we bless your name and we praise you tonight. And we want to be among those who set our hearts to your time. Who are in sync with what our Father is doing, not with what we necessarily want to see done. And we pray, Father, 
We pray that you will use miracles and supernatural signs in and among us to get people's attention. That we might preach the word of truth. We pray that your spirit will be active in doing marvelous things. That the name of Christ may be proclaimed. We pray that lives will be transformed, Father, so that you may be glorified. And so we do tonight. We praise your name in Jesus. We pray together. Amen. So not quite a Persian, but getting there. God bless you all. Have a great week.